Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to The Crossing. We are so honored that you would be here for this Christmas service with us. So let me go ahead and start out with a little Christmas survey. I'm going to put some images on the screen, and I want you to vote by applause if they are for me or not for me. Okay? We're going to start with this one right here. It's a Wonderful Life. How many would say this is for me? Okay? How many would say this is not for me? Okay, only a few of you. That's, it's for, you don't have to be shy. It's for me too. I mean, I think it's the greatest movie of all time. How about this right here? Fruitcake. Now, now let's be honest. How many would say fruitcake is for me? Okay, how many would say it's not for me? Yep. I'm with you. I just don't get it. Not for me. It's not for me. Okay, we did some songs. How about Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You? Okay. How many would say it's not for me? Okay, I'm with you. Not for me. I don't need to hear that ever again, that song right there. Um, here's the last one, the gift bag. How many would say this is for me? Obviously, all of the men in the room right here. Yes, definitely for me. See, we all have things in our life that we would say, well, that's not for me. Saving money, not for me. Eating broccoli, not for me. Counseling, not for me. Exercise, not for me. The Dallas Cowboys, no comment on that one. <laughs> Many of you would say, God is not for me. God is not for me. When it comes to God, you're just indifferent about God. Your life is good and you don't see this need for God. I was talking to a guy just a few weeks ago, and he said to me, he goes, you just need to know I'm not a follower of Christ. And I go, explain that to me. Why are you not? And he goes, it's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. And for some of you, when it comes to religion or God, you would just say, it's just, it's just not my thing. You know, you have nothing against it, but you would say, it's not for me. Others of you, the way that you would say it is you would say, God is not for me. It's not that you don't believe in God. He just doesn't seem like he's for you. You see the way that God works in other people's lives. You see how he answers their prayers. But he doesn't seem to work in your life like that. He doesn't seem to answer your prayers like that. And so for you, you just say, God is not for me. And I get that. I get that, but I want to show you a part of the Christmas story that I believe has the ability to show you that God is for you. Now, one of our traditions as a family is for years that when, when uh, we get up on Christmas morning, before we open Christmas presents, I read the Christmas story. And so I'll read that familiar passage. You know, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. We read that whole portion. And when my kids were young, they hated that part. They just wanted to get onto the main events. Like, okay, Dad, just let's get this done because we want to open presents. Well, the Christmas story actually started before that. And even if you are a Bible person, you probably skip this part. And for good reason. It is the most boring chapter in the whole Bible. How's that for a setup? Aren't you glad you came to church today? 
In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus. And if you're not familiar with the genealogy of Jesus, it's just the family tree of Jesus. And here is the very first verse of the very first book of the New Testament that introduces us to Jesus. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this word Messiah right here, that, that, that's actually a title. It's translated in Greek that he is the Christ. He's the chosen one, that he is the anointed one. But Matthew wants everyone to know that Jesus is connected to all the right people. And for hundreds of years, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come from David. Now, even if you're not a church person, you're familiar with David. You probably think of David and Goliath. But then... Matthew takes us to the very beginning of God's promise. It's with Abraham. That God had promised Abraham that he would bless all people through the family of Abraham. And so Matthew takes us back 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. And he goes person by person through Jesus' family tree. And here's kind of what it looks like. You see all these names up here, and there might be a few that you recognize, like Abraham or Judah or maybe Jacob, but most of these you have no idea about. But Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is connected to all the right people. Now, all of us have people in our family tree that we're proud of. I, I think my dad is the greatest man to ever live. And his dad, my grandpa, he had a great story. Then my grandpa lied about his age and dropped out of school, and he started driving a taxi cab in the streets of Chicago when he was 15 years old. A few years later, he was working at a restaurant, and Al Capone and his whole entourage came in to eat, and then they left without paying. And so my grandfather tried to keep him from leaving without paying and got roughed up. My dad on my, my grandpa on my mom's side, he graduated from MIT, and he actually invented the metal ice tray. If you're old enough to remember that metal ice tray where you'd pull the handle up and lift it up, he invented that. Well, then you have other people in your family tree that you leave out. <laughs> I have a cousin who is one of the founders of the New Age movement. He's written numerous books on mysticism and channeling and clairvoyance. So we just don't talk about him very much. <laughs> well, back in the Bible times, when a king or an important person had their genealogy recorded, they would actually pay extra to leave the bad stuff out. That your crazy cousin Eddie would never make it into the genealogy. Or perhaps that person sitting next to you, don't look at them. They would never make it in. That you would pay extra to leave all of the bad stuff out. But what's interesting about Matthew is he actually does the opposite. He puts all of the bad stuff in the genealogy of Jesus. Because here's the next verse in this genealogy. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. These are heroes of the faith. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Well, time out for a second. Because in a genealogy, they would never list a woman. 
they only list the men. They would only list the fathers. But Matthew doesn't list just one woman. It goes on a few verses later, and it says this. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew includes four women. But it's not just the listing of women that are the craziest part of what he does. It's the women that he chooses to include. Because he has this part of the family tree, and he starts off, we have Ruth right here. Now, Ruth is a hero. Ruth actually has an entire book of the Bible named after her, but she is not Jewish. She was actually a Moabite. She was a foreigner. In that day, the Israelites hated the Moabites, and they were always fighting with one another. Think the Hatfields and McCoys, or Taylor Swift and Kanye West. Matthew goes out of his way to include a foreigner in this Jewish genealogy. Well, then we have Rahab. Does anybody know what Rahab did for a living? She was a prostitute. That when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. And so these two spies go into Jericho and they stay at Rahab's house because it wouldn't have been unusual for men to be coming in and out of her house so they could be unnoticed. Well, she becomes part of Jesus' family tree. And then Matthew writes about David. And I want to show you this verse again. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Matthew doesn't even say her name. But everybody knew who it was. Doesn't even say her name. Who was Solomon's mother? Does anybody know? It was Bathsheba. Bathsheba. See, he doesn't even say Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. He says Solomon, whose mother was another man's wife. Instead of talking about David's greatest victory, David and Goliath, Matthew brings up David's greatest mistake with David and Bathsheba. Because David should have been off to war, but he's up in his palace. And he looks from the palace and he sees this woman taking a bath. And we know that Bathsheba was taking a bath and not a shower. Because otherwise her name would have been Showersheba and not Bathsheba. But he sees her. He sins for her. He has an affair with her and then kills her husband to cover it up. And then last but not least, we have Tamar. Now, you think you have a dysfunctional family. Her story reads like an episode of Jerry Springer. Tamar dresses up like a lady of the night so that she can seduce her father-in-law. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is the Christmas story. It's no wonder that nobody reads this part of the Christmas story before they open presents. Hey, kids, come on. Let's, before we open presents, let's read about Tamar seducing her father-in-law. So you have to ask yourself, why did Matthew include these shady characters in the Christmas story? I'll tell you why I think it is. 
because they were the point of the Christmas story. Matthew wanted everyone to know that Jesus didn't just come for sinners. Jesus came from sinners because that was the point. See, for Matthew, this was his story. People like Rahab and Tamar and Bathsheba, they were his kind of people. These were the kinds of men and women who were his friends. You see, Matthew was a tax collector, and they had a special category for the baddest of the bad people. They called them tax collectors and sinners. Not just sinners. They singled out tax collectors as well. Because a tax collector, they, they were Jewish, but they worked for the Roman government, and they cheated their own people. And so there was a special category for how much they hated these people because they were so sinful. And Matthew is sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus walks up and says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And the other disciples had to be saying, Jesus, he's going to make us look bad. You, you can't let him follow you. Well, then Matthew throws a party. He wants all of his friends to meet Jesus. And so you know who, who his friends were? They were other kinds of people like him. They were tax collectors and sinners. And I just kind of envision the disciples following Jesus going, Jesus, our mama said we were never supposed to go to a party like this. <laughs> Jesus says, come on in, it'll be okay. And then you have what you usually have. The religious people are standing outside and they are judging Jesus. And this is what Matthew writes about his own story. This is Matthew's story. Here's what it says. It says, on hearing this, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, you would think that this would offend Matthew and his tax collector buddies. But it didn't. Do you know why? Because people who are far from God, they know that they are far from God. And Matthew understands perhaps better than any of the other disciples, that is the story of Jesus. That is the story of Christmas. It's the story of God drawing near to people like him. It's the story of God drawing near to people like me and like you. And Matthew lets us know this was part of God's plan all along. This wasn't plan B. This was God's plan all along. That Matthew is the one who tells us the words of the angel to Joseph when Mary is pregnant. Here's what he writes. He says, she will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Because why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew wants everybody to know what this means, so it's just in parentheses, which means God with us. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make you religious. See, that's why some of you left church years ago and if you're still approaching God based on what you've done or what you've not done, this is an invitation to leave all that behind. Because Christmas means 
that God is for you. That God is for you. That Jesus is for you. He came to be with you. He came to save you. You are the point of Christmas. You are the point of Christmas. See, we all know the part of the Christmas story where Jesus was born and he was placed in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I wonder if it's time for you to make room for Jesus. See, we make room for a lot of things that that aren't really that important. Some of you, you have always known Jesus. You've always known Jesus. You grew up knowing Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus years ago, but the truth is, you have let the busyness of life squeeze him out. And it's time for you to make room for him again. We have a brand new series that we're going to do in January. We're calling it Rewired, that if you will change your mind, you'll change your life. If you'll change the way you think, God will change the direction of your life. There's others that although maybe you grew up going to church, maybe you would come to church at Christmas, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never made room for him in your life. Well, I want to give you an opportunity today to start a relationship with Jesus, to put your faith in him. In addition, I also want to talk to those of you who have never been baptized, that if you're a follower of Jesus, baptism is the next step for you. Baptism is like the wedding ceremony. Baptism says, I'm in till death do us part. I'm in. And what baptism represents, it represents dying to your old life, to all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of the things, they're gone. And you rise to walk this brand new life. And we're going to be doing baptisms after this service right over here. You can just come over here. You don't have to have prepared. We have everything for you. What better way? to be born again than on the day that Jesus was born. What a time. I just want to ask you just to bow your heads. And I I just want to lead you through just a time of prayer. What's interesting is, is we read the Christmas story and we judge those who didn't make room for Jesus. But maybe you've never made room for him. Some of you have been trying to earn your way to God. And you cannot earn your way to God. It is a free gift. Jesus came seeking after sinners like me and you. Because you're the point of Christmas. So for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now to start a relationship with him. And we're going to say a prayer together. And you're not saved by a prayer. You're saved by Jesus. But I want to give you a tangible first step. So maybe it's just repeating these words after me, just between you and God. You don't need to say them out loud. Just to say, right now, God, I am ready to make room for Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. I'm asking Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior, to forgive my sins. God, we thank you for who you are. 
We thank you for what you have done in our life to bring new life. God, for all of those who have taken that step today to start a relationship with Jesus, taken that first step, God, I pray that you would show up in their life like never before. God, we embrace Jesus. We embrace this moment. And we thank you that he came to give his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.